Happy New Year! There's going to be a ball drop today, right? Or maybe not. So glad to have you here. I hope and pray this year is, can I say better than last year? I hope and pray that I grow and mature in my faith this year. Anyone else want to become a better follower of Jesus this year? I truly believe that that's what God wants for us. And my hope and prayer is that as we become better followers of Jesus, we will have the privilege of making more followers of Jesus. And I think here in green, we're going to see that. I think across our region in Bainbridge, Cincinnati, the Binghamton area, we're going to see that this year. And I can't wait to see God move and change more lives. Anybody with me? Cool. Cool. So on that note, let me just ask, how many of you stayed up till at least midnight on New Year's Eve? Impressive! That's a lot of, no wonder everyone's so tired. <laughs> Who here wouldn't stay up till midnight if we had paid you? There, <laughs> there's a number of you. Okay, so this year, uh, my, my older girls, 10 and 12, Lucy and Daisy, and the last couple years, we've let them stay up till ball drop time. And this year, they really were pleading with us, could we pull an all-nighter? You know, it was a Friday night, Saturday, nothing's going on, it's a day off, we're like, why not, right? So I said, and and I'm a night owl, so I'm like, I'll do it with you. Yeah, good idea, right? (laughs) So here was my plan, though, I'm not as dumb as I look. I did this all-nighter, I said, we'll watch Christmas movies, we'll get, Annie got us a bunch of old Christmas movies from the library, Bing Crosby, really boring old stuff. You know, get some, not, not really, but old movies, and let's watch them together. I jacked the heat up and made sure the room was dark. You know what I was intending, right? And it worked. I fell asleep quickly. They made it till 3.30. I don't know how. Anyhow, uh, I'm still awake, uh, and I'm glad to be here. Um, I want to welcome everyone joining us online, wherever you're joining us from, thanks for being here with us. Today we're going to start a new series called Selfless. Uh, new Year, Less Me. This is not a series we had planned to do. You probably know, uh, if, you underst- if you've been here a while, we plan out our preaching calendar a year in advance. And so, you know, I could look at December of this year and tell you our, our plan for what we're speaking on. But about seven weeks ago, I, I, I heard about this series. This is from Pastor Craig Groeschel at Life Church, and it really resonated with me and our preaching team. And so we decided to call an audible, and we called a change of plans, and decided we're going to spend the first four weeks of this year going through this series that Life Church has done. So I want to thank that church and Pastor Craig for this, and just say that this has resonated with me. Just the title alone kind of hit me. Like, New Year, Less Me. Because I think when a new year comes, many of us, whether we call them resolutions or not, we have goals. We have certain things we strive for. Many of us, it's, first of all, let's start eating better than we ate the last few weeks. Maybe less than we ate the last few weeks. Let's certainly spend less than we spent the last few weeks. Let's maybe pay off some debt. Let's, Let's do some things to improve ourselves. And while those resolutions or goals aren't necessarily a bad thing. I think many of us do need to eat better and spend less than all the rest. I think unknowingly those goals are very me-focused. They're about bettering myself. They're about bettering my body, my health, my family, my work, my habits. And unwittingly, these goals are 
selfish. And the challenge with that is God did not place me on this earth so that he could serve me and make me happy. He placed me on this earth so I could serve him and make him happy. And when I deviate from that and make Justin's life about Justin, I miss the big picture. And I lose the reason and the purpose and the significance and meaning for why God put me on this earth. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to look at four different choices we can make, four different habits we can have this year to take our focus off ourselves and to put them on others and on God. And to learn together how to be selfless, how to have a little less of me and a little more of him this year. Anyone up for this journey? All right, let's do this together. If you would turn in your copy of Scripture to John chapter 20, page 872 in your chair Bible. There should be one nearby you on the chair. And if you'd like a Bible or an easier-to-read Bible, take that with you. It's our gift to you. John chapter 20 is where we're going to be for a little bit this morning. And if you're tapping in a Bible app, you can tap to NLT if you want to follow kind of word for word what I'm going to read and the chair of Bibles. But before we jump in, let me give you a little context to what we're about to read. This is the eyewitness account by someone who was in the room. This is the account of what happened on a certain day to a certain group of followers of Jesus. Now, Jesus spent the last three years of his life pouring himself into, pouring himself into how many gentlemen? Twelve. And these twelve guys were his circle, his inner circle. He invested a lot into them. He invested his life into them. He, he kind of trained them. He equipped them. He, he entrusted them with his movement of faith. He entrusted them to carry on the mission that he began I don't know if his selection process was really as steep as most of ours would have been, judging by the people that he picked. But I think his intent was very clear for why he picked the guys he picked. But needless to say, there's 12 guys that he selected. As we all know, one of those guys really didn't turn out good. But then you got kind of 11 left, and what Jesus had said to those guys consistently is, he came to die. And that was a message they found confusing. It was a prediction or a prophecy or whatever you want to call it, a premonition that they were kind of scared of. But Jesus was really clear to them, I'm going to die. But he also let them know very clearly, but hey guys, that's not the end of the story because three days later, I'm going to come back to life. So it happens as Jesus says. He dies. It's this public execution. It's as he told him it would be. It was pretty messy and torturous and bloody and all the rest. I think most of you know that story. And so three days later, these guys that he told all the news about this happening before it happened, what do you think they're doing three days later? That third day, right? So Friday's the day he dies, it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that third day in Jewish reckoning is Sunday. Three days later, that Sunday, what do you think these guys are doing? Well, obviously, they're so excited that this is the first Easter. 
They're so excited that Jesus is coming back from the dead. I imagine they're going everywhere being like, hey, just watch. Why don't you go to the tomb with us because something's going down. And a body's coming out. We don't know how this has worked. We just know that he said it was going to happen. And so you can imagine their excitement. That's exactly how it happened, right? You know better, don't you? Look at verse 19. Here's what actually happened that Sunday. Verse 19, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind what kind of doors? Locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Now, don't miss this. This is their moment. This is their moment. This is the first Easter. This is the day when Jesus told them he was coming to life. And they are absolutely blowing it. They're in a room with the doors locked because they're afraid. And I think about these guys, and I think of everything they knew, and I think of the mess in the world around them. In the world's greatest need, Jesus is the greatest hope, amen? And they had it, and they knew it, and so because of all that, they're locked in a room. Why do we do the same thing? Now listen, I'm not talking about quarantining. But why, when we are the people who have the greatest hope in the world, why are we the very same people who are so afraid to share it with those around us? Why is the fear of the early followers of Jesus the same fear we have 2,000 years later? Why is it in us this hesitation to be bold about our faith? Why is it in us this fear of what people will do to us or think of us or say about us? Why are we so selfish with the good news of Jesus? And why do we so often just keep it to ourselves? And how often are we praying, Lord, give me opportunities to share my faith? And we're saying it in our rooms with our doors locked. But Lord, please don't help it to be today. Maybe you can wait till I'm ready. Maybe you can wait till my life is more consistent and I'm a better example. Maybe it can be when I know more and can answer people's questions. Maybe it can be until I have stronger relationships with those people because right now we're not on great terms and it wouldn't go well. And maybe it can be, I don't know, maybe it can actually be pastor. Maybe he can do it. Or you know, maybe it could be a, a, a TV. Maybe it could be someone else. But I don't really know if I want to share because what might happen when I was growing up, my pastor knew that I wanted to be a pastor, and so he decided to take me under his wing and train me. His name was Pastor Nelson McCall. And one of the things that he did is he showed me a way to share my faith, and then he said, I'm going to take you and show you how to do this. And so what he did is he took me and he did home visitation. Now, this was 25 years ago. This was before things like texting and social media and Zoom. Can you believe it? 25 years ago, a lot of things were different. Um, this was where a pastor did go door to door. If you tried to do that today, you'd be in jail. 
But I watched as he would go and meet and sit in the, in the living room of total strangers. And as he would earn the right to share the good news of Jesus with those total strangers. And 25 years later, while I maybe don't copy his methods, I would love to copy that kind of boldness. That kind of heart. That kind of concern for people who are far from God. And it's funny because he helped to spark in me this desire to reach people for God because I saw him lead people to Jesus. People he had never met before. I saw their lives change. I saw their gratitude. And I also saw people reject him. Ask him to please leave. But he was undeterred as he went to the next home. And just that love for people and the love to share Jesus with other people was so motivating and inspiring and challenging to me. So 25 years later, I love to build relationships with unbelievers. I love to be involved heavily in the community. I love to build bridges to people who are far from God, who are unchurched. But what I don't love is my fear of sharing Jesus with them. What I don't love is my hesitation to invite them to their next step of faith, to invite them to church. And you know what's really weird? I'm a pastor. Why am I so afraid? And then I look at these guys who have been with Jesus for three years. They've seen him bring people back from the dead. And they're in a locked room, scared for their lives. Because see, that weekend when Jesus was arrested, they ran for their lives. And then when Jesus was going to trial, one of them, Peter, denied him three times. That weekend was an utter failure for followers of Jesus. And Sunday, the first Easter, that failure continues as they respond in complete and total fear. Check out what happens next there. Behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, who's standing there among them? <laughs> I just love considering that moment. Right? Here's these guys convinced that the leader that they know and love is dead, convinced that they're next, and next thing you know, there's Jesus. The doors were locked, mind you. And there's Jesus. Obviously, there was some bad sauce on their food or something. Obviously, they hadn't slept and were seeing an apparition. Obviously, and they thought he was a ghost. Jesus had to prove to them he wasn't a ghost. You know, he had to eat something to show that it didn't drop out of him and he wasn't a ghost, right? So he has to prove it. But suddenly, he's there with them. And, and he says something to them. And I just, I just, I can't get in the mind of Jesus. But if I was Jesus, I would have said, what in the world are you guys doing? Guys, what gives? You knew I was walking out of my grave today. Really watched me for three years and think I wasn't going to pull this off? Did you really watch your lives and your family's lives and your friends' lives get transformed and really think I was going to leave you alone? Seriously? It's not at all what Jesus said because Jesus is way better than me. Jesus says this, peace be with you. He knows they're terrified. He knows they're afraid. He knows that fear is surging through their veins. And rather than condemn them or shame them, Jesus simply says, peace be with 
you. One of Jesus' names was the Prince of Peace. The moment he steps in that room with them, you know who's with them? Peace. And here amidst all of our fear and our worry and our concern and our tension, you and I need to understand that the Prince of Peace is with us today. And maybe we need to hear Jesus saying to us, peace be with you. My friend, let me ask you, when you look out at this world, do you see a whole lot of peace? And as the followers of Jesus, if we don't have it, the world is lost. If we don't exude that peace, the world has no hope. And so Jesus says to these guys, peace be with you. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. He has to prove to them that it's not a ghost, that it's him. And as he does that, it's something interesting that said, the only man-made things that you'll ever find in heaven someday are the holes in Jesus' hands and side. He showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. They get it. It's this moment, no way. It's you. It's really you. You really came back from the dead. You really pulled it off. If I was Jesus, I'd be like, boy, you guys are thick. He said, peace be with you. Again, right? Verse 21, again, he says, peace be with you. The first two things he says are just two sentences repeated twice. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am doing what to you? Sending you. Notice the word Jesus chooses to use, send which means they're going to have to unlock those doors, get off their rear ends, and get out to a world they're scared of. Get out to a world they're they're concerned and terrified of. I am sending you. Believers, followers of Jesus are called the sent ones. The Great Commission says, go and make disciples. And we, like those first followers of Jesus, I think we're just so scared that we do the opposite of go. We stay, we isolate, we protect, and and we're scared of everyone else. What are they going to think? What are they going to say? Am I going to say the wrong thing? Am I going to lose a friend? And Jesus said this, verse 22, he does something interesting. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, interestingly enough, the word spirit in the Greek language is the word pneuma. When you hear the word pneuma, what word comes to mind? Pneumatic? Pneumatic, right? And so it's this idea of pneuma is air or wind. The Holy Spirit is the the holy wind, in a sense, of God. He is a person, a divine member of the Trinity. Don't want to get too in the theological weeds here, but there's this concept and idea of the Spirit of God is this wind of God. And as Jesus breathes on them, it's, it's like he's, he's saying, look, I'm going to give you him, this wind. He's going to be with you. It's this down payment that they will not be alone. Now, what's ironic is what happens next. These fearful, timid guys locked away in a room waiting out Easter Sunday 
meet Jesus. Jesus breathes on them and promises them the Spirit. And only six weeks from now, they're going to experience fully what Jesus promises here. They're going to get the Spirit of God. And there's going to, they're going to be in a room once again, and there's going to be the, like the sound of a mighty rushing wind that's going to sweep through the room. And all of a sudden, they're going to be filled with this new power. As the Spirit of God, also known as the helper or the advocate, comes inside of them and literally transforms their thinking and their level of courage. And what happens next, I I want you to see what happens next. Flip forward in your Bible just a few pages to Acts 4. Acts 4, page 877 if you're using your chair Bible. I want you to see this for yourselves. Because what happens next is these guys, these guys who ran from Jesus at his arrest, these guys who betrayed Jesus at his trial, these guys who were locked in a room on Easter Sunday, undergo this profound transformation from selfish and scared to unselfish and bold. And as they, as they go through this, this shift, this transformation, they just begin boldly sharing the good news of Jesus. And, and what happens in Acts 3 and 4 is they get arrested because they won't shut up. These same guys, literally seven weeks, six weeks ago, they're locked in a room scared for their life. Seven we- six weeks later, and they're literally getting arrested because they're so bold and they're causing such a stir and they're upsetting the apple cart. They get arrested and they go to trial. And unlike six weeks ago when at trial for Jesus, they're betraying and denying and running, look what happens. Verse eight, then Peter, remember that guy? Three times the night of Jesus' arrest. I don't know him. I've never seen him. I'm not one of his followers. Then Peter, filled with the holy pneuma, The holy wind, the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? He's referring to the incident that caused this this trial. Do you want to know how this crippled man was healed? Let Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Now is he... A little different from six weeks ago? Oh, watch what he says next. The man you crucified. Woo! Peter, you're on trial. You're you're calling the people who are accusing you and putting you on trial, the people that have the power to take your life, you're calling them the killers of the Son of God? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a totally different guy. Whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Where'd that timid guy go? Where'd that coward go? My friends, they're gone. The rest of the book of Acts is their story of of formerly afraid, timid people who met Jesus after he walked out of his grave and they were never the same. And they were given the spirit of God and they were so empowered with a new courage and an unselfishness. They were willing to give up their reputations. They were willing to give up their lives for the sake of the good news of Jesus. See, our mouths, 
Let me describe it this way. On, on your hot water tank, if you have a hot water tank, you have something on there that if it gets too hot, if there gets to be too much pressure, what's on there to release that pressure? There's a pressure relief valve. And that's so it doesn't explode through your house. You have a pressure relief valve. And it's called your mouth. And Jesus said, your mouth is the overflow of your heart. You and I speak about things that we believe deeply about. We speak boldly about what we believe deeply. I'll give you some little examples. I mean, have you ever gone to a restaurant and, man, it's just so good, you can't help but talk about it? A few months ago, we went to an Italian restaurant in the Binghamton area that I'd never been to, and my goodness, that food was good. Well, I told everybody about it. Because that food was so good. I just told them, don't go on Fridays, because I'm going and I want the food. You can go any other night. That, that place is delicious. can't help but talk about it. Right? You get that perfect pair of shoes, and man, they just fit so good, and it was such a good deal. You can't know that you're just binging on, you can't help but talk about it. The things that we believe deeply, we speak about pretty boldly. And so the question becomes, if we're not speaking boldly about our faith, do we really believe it deeply? If you and I are not speaking boldly about our faith, do we really believe it deeply? Because Jesus is meant to be talked about. Look at verse 12. Well, let's look at 11, go to 12. For Jesus, Peter says, is the one referred to in the scriptures where he says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. You ever heard the phrase, all roads lead to God? Peter's like, no, they don't. There is salvation in no one else. That sounds like a really popular message today. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Does this guy still sound like the coward we knew six weeks ago? Completely transformed. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the what? Boldness of Peter and John. They're stunned. They're staggered. They can't believe it. They know these guys. They know how weak they were. They knew they ran six weeks ago from their master. They knew they denied him. And now on trial publicly, there's, they're, they're different people. They saw the boldness of Peter and John. They're amazed for they could see they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. And they also recognize them as men who had been with Jesus. What a description. Wouldn't you love to be known as someone who's been with Jesus? So let me ask you, as we think about the boldness they had that day, the, the council sitting there and they're stunned by the extreme boldness of this man, let me ask you, how amazed are people around you by your boldness for your faith? It's just a little personal inventory time. How amazed are people by your boldness? Where would you think that people would say you're, you're on the scale of boldness from zero 
to 10. So, so let me give you some help in doing this scale. If, if you're up here on this higher end of the scale, then you're probably not here alone. You're probably here with some family, some friends, some people that you've invited or, or watching with others that you've shared this with because, because you're just bold and, and you love sharing Jesus with others and you care so deeply about those who don't know Jesus as their personal Savior. And, and, and you probably are praying regular, regularly for people who don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus. And so you probably have this rhythm every day of this, this, this list of people that you so badly want to spend eternity in heaven with you. That you can't imagine being in heaven without. And so you pray for them constantly. And you have this tremendous heart for people far from God. If that's you, man, you're on, you're on this end of things. Now, now, if you're on the lower end, it probably looks like that you're not really talking about Jesus to other people. I mean, you, you maybe go to church, you, you maybe do some time with God during the week, maybe, but Jesus isn't really something that you talk about, especially not with people who aren't churchgoers or Christians. Maybe you're not regularly praying for a few people to, to come to faith. And what's interesting is, as I think of my own life, I've had times where I am, I'm on this end of the scale, and I am boldly sharing my faith, and I've had other times where I've just been on this end, kind of apathetic, selfish, kind of keeping the good news to myself. And I don't think today, as we take inventory of where we're at, I don't think today God wants us to feel condemned or, 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 or strain or shame if we're maybe on this lower end, I think what he would say to us is a lot like what he said to his apostles that day in the locked room. Peace be with you. No need to be so afraid. You're, you're probably not quiet about your faith because you don't care. You probably care. You're probably quiet because you're scared. You're scared of what other people might say. You're scared of losing that friendship. You're scared of losing your reputation, looking like a kook, looking like a Bible thumper, looking like, I don't know, a little bit zany, a little bit off your rocker. And maybe you and I just need to hear Jesus today say, peace be with you. I'm with you. I'm the prince of peace. But maybe that sense of guilt, of being a lot like those guys, maybe it can drive us towards a shift or a change. Because maybe the good news of Jesus really is too good to keep to myself. Maybe the, the only hope of the world is what Peter said 2,000 years ago, is Jesus. There's no other name to be saved, amen? Jesus is it. There's no plan B. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. There's really good people that will have to spend eternity in hell because they didn't receive Jesus' forgiveness. And that stinks. That stinks. And so if I know the truth, shame on me for keeping it to myself. I often think of it this way. If, if, if I was coming here to church today and I saw that this Ford dealership right down the road here had a sign that said, free Mustang. Some of you are ready to leave right now. Check this out. Free Mustang to every customer. And so this morning, I, I told Annie, you've got to meet me down here. We went, we got our free Mustangs. They're awesome. 
But I don't mention it, right? I don't say anything about it. And then tomorrow, we're talking. I'm like, hey, what do you think of my Mustangs? I think you'd be excited for me, but you'd have a lot of questions. Offering was that good yesterday? Where'd you get those things? What if I said, well, they were giving them away to free anybody who stopped in yesterday? I think you would have looked at me like, I saw you yesterday. Why didn't you say something? I mean, all you had to do was 10 seconds, stop down at the Ford garage. That's all you had to do. I would have been there. I would have got a free Mustang. Why didn't you say something? How could you keep something like that to yourself? I'm sorry. I didn't know how you'd react. And I think we're the same way with Jesus. We don't know how people react to hearing the greatest news in the world that Jesus came and died and gave his life for them to give them eternity in heaven, no strings attached. Why are we ashamed and scared of sharing that message? It is such good news. It is so scandalous and selfish to keep that news to myself. So what do we do? What do we do to change this? I think there's two things as I look at these guys that they did that I need to do this year. There's two things. The first is this. I need to spend more time with Jesus. Because that's what they recognized when these guys were on trial and were boldly sharing their faith. They looked at Peter and John and they're like, whoa, these guys have been with Jesus. I need to spend more time with Jesus. So, so a couple weeks ago, I sat down and I developed a plan this year. I'm going to work through the New Testament one chapter a day. I'm going to journal like I have this plan of spending time with Jesus. And I, and I don't know if I'll follow it every day, but it's my intent. It's my heart because I need to spend time with Jesus. So let me ask you, January 2nd, we're, we're just two days into this new year. How are you going to spend time with Jesus? What's your plan? If you don't have a plan, it's just probably not going to happen. We have some really simple options. As you leave today, we have a rack and there's our daily breads. These are devotionals, kind of keyed to the date for every day. They'll probably run out real quick, but they're out there and we can get more. I think we have more at the Welcome Center if those run out. Same with this, the, the word for you today, a little message from Brian at the beginning and just, it's just a one, one day at a time way to spend time with God. It's, it's not magic, it's just little simple ways to be in the word of God, and spend time with Jesus every day. Another way you can do that is if you have a smartphone or an or a, uh, iPad or a tablet or anything like that, there's the Bible app. It's version. It's the number one on Google Store or Apple, whatever. And that version has a ton of Bible reading plans. They're excellent. They have devotionals. They have studies. You can tag, tag someone and do it with them, and you can share notes and highlights. And It is really cool if that's the way you prefer to spend time with Jesus. But I just share that to say there's so many options. We have so many more resources at our fingertips than these guys did 2,000 years ago. We just have no excuse for not spending time every day with Jesus. There's a second thing that I think I need to do that these guys did, and it's this. They asked God to make them bold. They literally prayed that. 
And, and it's funny because, well, let me just show you their prayer. It's in the same chapter at the end. Here's what they prayed. They said, now, Lord, consider their threats. I'm going to tell you, if you're going to stand up for Jesus and you're going to start sharing your faith, you will experience hostility. You will experience rejection. You will experience some threats. Jesus says it's not a bad thing. If they rejected him, they'll reject you. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word. What does this say? With great boldness. And I think of my prayers. How often are my prayers, Lord, please protect me. Please help me to sleep good tonight. Please keep the wheels on the van as we drive today. And now there's nothing wrong with those prayers, but how shallow if my prayers are so often about the protection and, and, and the care of myself and my family. These are the kind of prayers God's people need to be praying regularly. God, give me greater boldness for the good news of Jesus. Give me a passion to share the good news. Because see, here's the the really difficult reality that we live with, if you believe Jesus and what he said, you know that eternity is real and there are two options. One is a place of indescribable pleasure that goes on forever and the other is a place of indescribable torment that goes on forever. And that's not a scare tactic, that's just reality. So why wouldn't I want to bring as many people with me to the place of indescribable pleasure? Why wouldn't I want people to know? I wouldn't want to wish hell on my worst enemy. Jesus said this, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him should be saved. To give you a little picture of what's coming Let me just read this to you from the end of the book. This is still to come. This is future. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the old heaven, and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow, or crying, or pain. Anyone looking forward to that day? All these things are gone forever, and the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will freely give from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. That is our hope. If we believe this deeply, we should be unselfishly speaking this boldly. Jesus doesn't need any more undercover followers. He has more than enough. We've made an assumption here at Berean, and here's our assumption. We believe that you want to share your faith. But if you're not, we just think you don't know how. 
That's our assumption. Because I knew growing up that often I was told all the time to share my faith, but I wasn't taught how until one day at a camp where someone sat down and showed me how, and the light bulb connected. And because of that, I've been so passionate the rest of my life to teach people how to share the faith they want to share with people they care about that they want to go to heaven with. And so we have something called, it's called 201, share. And this is just our way to equip you to share your faith. At the beginning, it says, here's the purpose of this. We're going to answer questions. Here's some of the questions. I'm shy. Am I really required to share my faith? How can I use my salvation story to impact others? How do I reach my unsaved neighbors? How can I find out if my friends are going to heaven? Do even good people go to hell? How do I take the conversation beyond sports and the weather? What, what do the Ten Commandments have to do with Jesus? What must a person really know to be saved? You'll get the answers in this. Curious, quick poll. Who here has gone through 201? Who here has been mentored through 201? That's awesome. Who here has mentored someone else through 201? Awesome. So we have a whole bunch of people in this room who would be happy to take you through and mentor you through this. It's six lessons. They go at your speed, your pace. If you'd like to do this, ask. Maybe you're like me, you've gone through it, but man, you're rusty. You need a recharge. You need a new courage and confidence. Maybe you go through this again. Maybe with your small group this winter, you say, hey, can we just take six weeks, pause our study, and just for six weeks, be refreshed and retrained for how to share our faith. Here's what we're giving every person today. It's on your chair. As you came in, you probably saw it. And if you're watching online, if you want one of these, you can just shoot the church an email and we'd be happy to send one to you. But it's called a pi squared card and it's really simple. On the back, you're going to see four different blanks. A blank for a family member, friend, coworker, classmate, and neighbor. And so very simply, it's this. You're going to write just your top four. Here's your top four of people you're going to start praying for every day. Pi squared simply stands for pray, invest, invite. I'm going to pray every day for those on my list, asking God to give me opportunities. I'm going to invest in them by building authentic relationships, and I'm going to invite them as God gives the opportunities to their next step of faith. Whatever that is, inviting to church, inviting to Christ, inviting to read something, to watch something, so I encourage you to take this home to today, fill out four people that you're going to begin to pray with all your heart every day for. Put it somewhere where you won't miss it. Put it at your bedstand. Put it on your dash. Put it on your mirror. Somewhere where every day you're reminded about what is most important as a follower of Jesus. We are the sent ones. Jesus told us to go and to be bold for our faith. Because see, here's what I think. I think maybe in 2022, God is going to use some of us to reach some people who are far from God. There's going to be someone in our life currently that is far from God. And this year, that spouse or coworker or neighbor or friend or student, they're going to hear about Jesus from us. And their life's going to be transformed. And next year at this time, they'll... They'll be part of our faith family. Because here's what I know. You're probably sitting here today because someone was unselfish and bold enough to share Jesus with you. And maybe it's our turn to unlock the door and to be the sent ones who share Jesus with a world that desperately 
needs to hear the good news. Amen? Would you bow with me this morning? And there's a, there's a, a prayer that I try to pray regularly. It's Ron Hutchcraft's three open prayer, and it's simply this. Lord, open a door, open a heart, and open my mouth. It's a great, simple prayer to pray every day. Lord, open a door, open a heart, open my mouth. So maybe today, maybe today is the day where you put your stake in the ground for 2022 and say, okay, a a, a goal, a resolution this year is to be less focused on me, more focused on others, and that's gonna start by speaking about Jesus. I'm gonna stop being so afraid. I'm gonna stop being so ashamed. I'm, I'm gonna start to ask God for boldness with my faith. I'm gonna speak boldly about that which I believe deeply. Listen, if that's you this morning, here's what I want you to do. If you're committed this year to pray for boldness in your faith, here's what I'd like you to do. Just kind of before God, would you raise your hand and say, yes, today I am asking God to give me boldness. If that's you, would you join me and just raise your hand before God. God sees hands, but more than that, he sees hearts. Say, God, give me boldness this year. God, Father, today as many of us have our hands in the air and even perhaps online, people have their hands in the air saying, today, God, give us boldness to begin sharing you. Lord, please, we pray, help us to unlock the door. Help us to realize that our peace, the Prince of Peace, is with us. And may we be bold in our faith for you this year. I want to take a moment before we wrap up. If you're here today, maybe you're a guest, maybe you're, you're new to faith, maybe, maybe you're new to church, but maybe you've never taken that step of faith yourself. You're not to the point yet of sharing Jesus because you need to receive Jesus. You need to encounter Jesus. Today, I want to share him with you. Jesus has completely transformed my life and it's because as a young kid, I had a bold sister who shared her faith with me in a moment of crisis and I received the gift of eternal life and my life's never been the same. Today, I invite you, you've heard what we've said, you've heard the good news of Jesus. He's come, he's lived, he's died, he's risen again and he did it for you. There's no sin he can't forgive. There's nothing in your past he doesn't already know. If you believe in him, if you ask him to forgive you and be your savior and your your master, he will, he promises. And today, if that's you and you have the faith to believe him, I want to welcome you to the family of faith. There are no outcasts. There are no strangers. It says when the council saw these men, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. The word ordinary in the original language is where we get our word idiot. They saw these, men's were, these men were idiots. Can I tell you the good news? God loves using idiots like us. He loves it. He's not concerned by what's on or not on your resume. He loves you. He made you, he chose you to be the recipient of his love. And maybe this year's the year where we stop being so focused 
about the spread of a virus and we start being more focused about the spread of Jesus Christ. Maybe this is the year that we finally get it right. Maybe we say, despite all the mess around us, I am going to boldly share Jesus because nothing matters more. Eternity is at stake. Father, today give us boldness. May this year be different because of the stake we put in the ground today. Teach us how to be unselfish and to be bold like your first followers. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen.